All right, a couple of weeks ago, it's been a couple of weeks now, uh, last week I intended to preach this message, and so really this is, a, this is a sermon that I've had a lot of time to think about, because we didn't have church last week with the snow, and then I actually originally intended it to be part of my sermon two weeks ago, and got into the third point out of four points, started to get into it, and realized uh, we need to make a part two. And uh, I kind of had that in my mind going into the sermon that I knew it could become a part one and part two message. So it is, this is part two of the message that I began two weeks ago, uh, a week before our snow cancellation last week. The supreme authority of the Word of God. And we begin by looking at our statement of faith and what it says in our Constitution, in our statement of faith about the Bible, our statement number one in our Articles of Faith is the Word of God, because that lays the foundation. Last week we sang the song, how firm a foundation is laid for us in God's excellent Word. And our statement of faith says we believe the Holy Bible is the inspired Word of God, consisting of 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. This verbally inspired Word of God is inerrant in the original manuscripts, infallible. It is the supreme authority and final rule in life and faith. And you may wonder, why did we have to word it? So many different words that we had to put in that statement, even though some of those words you don't exactly find in the Word, in, in, in the Bible, in, at least not in one place, but in the various verses that we looked at last week and that we'll continue at looking at this week, we find why we put all these words here, as well as just over the years, over the centuries of the Christian faith, some churches, some theologians, some uh, professing Christians, uh, and some liberals, some scholars that were not Christians at all questioned God's word, questioned uh, and redefined what does inspiration mean? And some people will uh, both agree that, yes, God's word is inspired, but what does that mean? Some people would say, well, God's word is inspired, but it's the message of God's word that's inspired. It's the ideas, it's the thoughts, it's not the very words. And that's what verbally means. When we have the word verbally in there, it means it's the very words that we find in the Bible. They're inspired. Not just the idea, not just the thought, but the words. In the original manuscripts and, and the copies that followed and in translations that give us a clear um, picture of that original word through the English word, a clear good translation of it. And of course the one that our Constitution has set up as being that uh, chosen translation uh, is the authorized version, the King James Version. And verbally inspired means that God didn't just give the writers of God's Word an idea, a concept, a message to write down, and then they wrote it down, but they didn't write it in perfect words, and you know, we just have to go back to what were they really thinking, no, and try to discover that. No, the actual words they were guided, we're going to actually see that a little bit more today in some of the Scripture verses that we're going to look at again today. Uh, we won't look at the same ones we looked at last week, but we'll look at some further Scriptures that prove that point. Also, that God's word is inerrant. In other words, there were no mistakes made when the apostles, when the prophets, when the writers of Scripture wrote those words. They were the exact words God wanted them to write. There was no errors made. There were no mistakes. 
and infallible, meaning it, the scripture does not fail. There's no promise, there's no prophecy, there's no statement that is false. There's no, um, no, mis- no mistakes, no fallacies in the Bible. The word of God is perfect. It is infallible, it is inerrant. It is the supreme authority and final rule for life and for faith, for what we believe and how we live our life. And of course, part of the challenge of that is yes, we may all agree and sign off on this statement, but do we live like we believe that? And so I want us to ask ourselves, looking back to last week, we looked at four passages, we began to look at four passages, we looked at two of those and some cross-references that go along with them. We looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work, unto all good works. And 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, it tells us that uh, the word of God came not, for we have a more sure word of prophecy, which came not by the will of man, but by God and holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Going back to verse 20. We looked at those passages and other cross-references and the points made, and let's ask ourselves going forward, have we, enjoy, uh, have we embraced those truths, the true truths that we looked at last year, last week, excuse me, <laughs> Uh, two weeks ago, before our snow day. Are we making the the Word of God truly our supreme authority? Are we recognizing and studying the entire Bible, not just a few verses, not just the New Testament, not just the Gospel of John or the Epistles of Paul, but all of God's Word? Are we studying the entire Bible and applying its truths to our lives? That was our first statement we looked at, the first part there of all Scripture being given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And do we understand and remember that the Bible is God's words, not men's? We looked at that fact in in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. It's God's words, not man's. No human ingenuity invented the Bible. It was God, the Holy Spirit, moving men to give the very words. And all of those words have been preserved. We looked at that, how God's word is as silver tried in a furnace, purified seven times in Psalms last week. And now this week we come to our third passage. So the first one we'll look at this morning. And that is Isaiah 8.20. When we, and the point to take from this passage in Isaiah 8.20 is that if we are spiritually unhealthy, if we are believing something that isn't correct, and we are living in a way that is not what God intended for our lives, it is because we've gotten away from God's word and have misinterpreted or ignored God's word in some way, or just disobeyed, knowing what God's word says, and have lived or believed something else. Let's look at Isaiah 40, 28, verse 31, as we continue to look at these four proof texts in our Constitution. This is the third one regarding the word of God and how we need to apply that word to our lives. Verse Uh, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20.
to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The light is the Holy Spirit. We'll get more further into that in our last text. That the Holy Spirit is the one who lightens God's word. He gives the light of God's word. That God's word is a light. As, uh, as we say in our school every day when we pledge allegiance to the Bible or in Awana clubs, and we quote that passage, that verse from Psalm 119, 11. When we pledge allegiance to the Bible, we say, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. God's word should be the light of our lives. And we need to remember. We need to keep it before us. If we're going to be spiritually healthy, we have to be feasting on God's word and living that word, allowing God's word to be the light of our lives. You know, when a person is lost, when a person has not heard God's word at all, ever, they're unsaved, they haven't heard the gospel, they haven't believed the gospel, they've never heard it, it's because they haven't had God's word. They haven't heard the gospel. Look at Romans 3 now, if you would, with me. If you would turn to the book of Romans in the New Testament. Romans 3 Starting at verse 9. Romans 3, verse 9 says, What then? Are we better than they? Speaking of those who have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and are lost. Paul is saying of us believers. No, in no wise. We're not better than any other sinner. We're only sinners who have been saved by God's grace. And why? How? Let's continue reading. No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none that understandeth there is none that seeketh after God they are all gone out of the way they are together become unprofitable there is none that doeth good no not one in other words without God's word we're all lost we're all in darkness we're all in sin we need God's word to be the light to point us to Christ and to salvation Verse 13 says, Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the word may be guilt all the world may be guilty before God. In other words, the Bible, God's word, specifically the law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, shows us, the Bible shows us how we come up short of God's glory, how we have all sinned, how we've all broken God's law. You know, if we if we lie one time, we've we've broken that law, we're a liar. We've stolen one time, we've broken that law, we're a thief. And we could go through all the Ten Commandments. And James 2.10 says, if we offend, if we keep the whole, whole law and yet offend in one point, we're guilty of all of it. Look at verse 20 in Romans 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness, righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all 
and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Before we came to Christ for salvation, before we heard the gospel, before we understood God's word and our need for salvation, that we've all broken God's law, we were lost, we were in the darkness. So whenever we're spiritually unhealthy, beginning with anyone who does not know the Lord, they're spiritually lost, they're unhealthy, they're, they're spiritually dead because of disobedience to God's word, whether by ignorance or defiance or rebellion. They are in disobedience. They are lost because they are without God's word. And when a person is saved, on the other hand, let's continue reading in Romans 3, starting in verse 24. When a person is saved, it's by faith because of the truth of God's word. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace, by God's grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, what Christ did for us on the cross, taking our sins upon himself and paying the price for us, redeeming us, purchasing us from the punishment that we would otherwise all pay in eternal separation from God. Verse 25, whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation, a payment, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by the law or works. In other words, the law, the Bible, was not given so that we could keep as much of it as we could and then boast when we get to heaven of how much we kept and how we earned our way to heaven. It's not why God gave us the law. Why gave it, he gave us his, his word to show us his standard, how we fall short of it, and how the only way for us to be reconciled to God, to be redeemed, to be forgiven, to be purchased by the Lord and become his child, to be saved, is through Jesus Christ paying the penalty for us. That's why God gave us his word. To, and then, of course, that then, after we've come to God in faith, whether it was in the Old Testament, believers believing that one day that promised one would come, or looking back today, seeing the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus Christ taking our sins upon himself, believing that by faith, and then living according to God's word going forward and being a light through our life in conformity to God's word and following Jesus in his words given to us in the New Testament that we might reach souls with the gospel, with God's word, with the light. And that we would all realize who we are in Christ. That we haven't earned by the good things that we've done our salvation at all. But that anything that we do that is in obedience to God's word is what is, is owed to God. And what we should, going forward as a child of God, do out of gratitude and obedience to our Heavenly Father who has adopted us through Jesus Christ into His family and saved us from the punishment that we would otherwise pay. Jesus was our propitiation, our payment. Verse uh, 28 then in, in Romans 3, Romans 3 verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the, uh, of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. 
Yea, we establish the law. Therefore, it's because of God's word, the law of God, the gospel, everything in his word. That's what points us to Christ. It's through believing the truth of God's word, specifically the gospel. And we're pointed to the gospel by the law, by the prophets. They all point to Christ and to our salvation in Christ. And that's how we're saved. And then after we're saved, a believer would be spiritually weak if we don't live according to God's word. I mentioned Psalm 1911 earlier. Um, so Psalm 119 speaks much of God's word and how we're to make God's word a lamp and a light to our path, our feet, and also hide his word in our heart. And Psalm 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 also speaks of how the Word of God helps us to be right with God, to be in good fellowship with God, uh, to live according to God's Word as a child of God. 1 Corinthians 3.1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither are ye able. And this is speaking of God's word being like milk and meat. It's the spiritual food that we need to be healthy. And when, a, when we're first, we first come to Christ, we need the, the basics, the milk of God's word. And then as we grow in Christ, we, we devour the meat and grow further in Christ. And if we don't feast on the milk when we're younger in Christ and as we're still growing older, we're still needing the milk of God's word. As Paul writes to the carnal, in other words, worldly believers there in 1 Corinthians, that he's, he, he, he should be able to feed them the meat of God's word, but they're still needing the milk because they haven't been feeding on it and absorbing that and growing spiritually the way they should have been. 1 Peter 2.2 2 also compares God's word to spiritual food that is necessary for a believer to be healthy, to be healthy spiritually. 1 Peter 2.2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. We need to grow. Um, if, you know, sometimes you know, a believer will have doubts about their salvation. Sometimes it's brought on by not feasting on God's word, by becoming spiritually unhealthy. So our lives are becoming more and more like the unsaved world around us, and we can't see that difference, and we're out of fellowship with God's word, and we need to come back to God and to his word, uh, confessing our sins to him, but also looking to God's word and obeying what he teaches us and what he tells us in his word, what he commands us. And so whenever we have doubt, not just regarding our salvation, but doubt of is God with us? Is God really watching over me? There's all these bad things in my life right now. Why? Whenever we start to doubt God and blame God for circumstances in our life, it would be because we need to come back to God's word for the answers to our problems. We're, we're not uh, in that place where God wants us, where we're healthy, we're growing, we're conforming our lives, renewing our minds through the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives through God's Word. 
And we're going to continue to look at that work of the Holy Spirit in our next point. But first, I want to take you to 2 Peter 3, as we're in 1 Peter now, 2 Peter 3. Peter testifies to us, again, of the necessity of studying God's Word. If we're not studying God's Word, we're most likely going to be spiritually unhealthy. Just as if we don't eat food, if we go without food for too long, we grow weak. If we don't eat the right foods, we could get sick easier. We won't have the strength and the energy that we should have if we're not eating the right food. So scripture, we've already seen, is our milk and our meat. We need to be feasting on it and studying and living by the scriptures. 2 Peter 3, starting at verse 11, in these verses here, we find that Peter gives testimony of how Paul's epistles are scripture. When he says other scripture, and he refers to, he's referring to Paul's epistles as scripture. That's another proof text that the New Testament and Paul's writings are scripture. That they're God's words given by the Holy Spirit. Paul himself describes them that way in another passage as well. And here Peter does so. And Peter tells us the need to study because even Peter finds some of Paul's writings to be difficult to understand. And so we need to study them and try to understand them and live by them. Look at verse 11 in 1 Peter 3. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. In other words, this current life is temporary. We need to be looking to God and the things that are lasting, the truths of his word. What manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation, in your lifestyle, and in godliness? We need to be becoming the person God wants us to be because one day we're going to be ruling with God in, after the resurrection of our bodies Unless we uh, live to the day that Christ raptures his church and our bodies are transformed at that time, one day we'll pass away, we'll, our spirit will be with God, but one day our physical body will also be remade when it's caught up to be with God in heaven at the rapture, and then we're going to return with him. And remember, one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to have a body, a physical body. There's a physical new heaven and earth, uh, and we will live in that heaven and earth with a physical body that will be like Christ's glorified body. Remember Jesus, after he rose from the dead, ate and drank and could be touched by his disciples. He had a physical body. He, had, he could do some things that his, uh, physical bodies normally can't do, like appear behind uh, locked doors and go through walls and uh, just transport very quickly. But he had a physical body. One day we're going to have a body something like that in the future. And looking at that fact that this earthly life is temporary, one day we're going to be, uh, have a perfected body and a perfected earth. Like in the beginning when Adam and Eve were, had perfect bodies and perfect lives and a perfect garden and a perfect world. One day it's going to be that way again. Not, not exactly the same, I'm sure, but something like that. And with that in mind, that should change the way we live now. And to do that, we need the power of God's word in our lives. Look at verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, see that ye look for such things. Be diligent. We need to be diligent. We need to be diligent. Be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless 
an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things, in which are some things, says Peter, hard to, hard to be understood. So Peter's saying some of the things Paul writes in his epistles, there are some things that are hard to be understood, which, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. They fight about those things. They argue about those things because they don't understand them and they're unstable and they're, they're unhealthy spiritually, Peter says. And they do also with other scriptures. So notice he, he refers to Paul's epistles as scriptures because he says the people who are arguing about Paul's epistles are also arguing about other scriptures. So Paul's epistles are scriptures. There's another proof of that right here in Peter's writing of 2 Peter, given by the Holy Spirit. Once again, all scripture given by the inspiration of God. Unto their own destruction. In other words, it, it's to their own destruction when they fight about, when they uh, do not understand God's word. God's words, the scriptures. Verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We sang that at the beginning. More, more about Jesus. Well, if we're going to learn more about Jesus, what do we need to do? We need to study his word. It all points to Christ. In the Old Testament and New Testament. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Closes Peter in that passage. James. James, the brother of Jesus, physically, half-brother, by Mary and Joseph as they had other children. Uh, James, in the book of James, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, moving him to write these words, James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 25, he admonishes believers, don't just hear the word. Don't just come to church and hear the word preached. Don't just read the Bibles at home in, in, your, in your Bibles. Don't just read those words. Do them. Don't just hear the word, live by them. One of the first big uh, discouragements for me uh, uh, since being the pastor was going on visitation, seeking to, to, to bring people into the church. And one person, I could not get them to come to church. They had used to come to church here, apparently. So I was trying to go back and find everyone who ever used to come to church here when I was in my first year as a pastor. And one person said, well, I don't go to that church anymore because... They're only hearers of the word. They're not doers of the word. And I, I, I tried to persuade her. I know many people at church that are doers of the word. And, and she said, well, or that person said, well, you know, I know you'll work on it. You're a new pastor. You'll work on it. Maybe one of these days I'll come to church and maybe you'll turn things around and they'll be doers of the word. Uh, but all of us, even myself, we, sometimes we fall short and we know what to do. We know what God's word says, but we don't do it. We know what it says, we've heard it, we've read it, we know what we ought to do, and yet we fall short and we don't do those things. We need to be doers of the word. We need to live up, we need to practice what we preach. Look at verse 19 of James 1, says, Wherefore, my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. 
Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Sometimes because we go to church, because we read God's word, we, we tend to have a better picture of ourselves than we should when we compare God's word, his holy, spotless, clean word to our lives, we, we come up short like a sheep on a background of snow that seemed white before when it was on a background of green grass. Let's compare our lives to God's word and not be discouraged by that, not, not say, oh, we're so filthy and dirty, it's hopeless, but rather, here's the perfect example of Christ who came to earth as a man, humbled himself, bore our sins for us on the cross, suffered and died for us, and he was tempted in every way that we're tempted. He was tested in every way we're tested. And yet without sin, he's the example for us. Let's try to be more like him. And through the Holy Spirit working in our lives and illuminating God's word to us, God will give us the power to, be, to, to transform, to become more like him. Verse 23 says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, it is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. If we look in the mirror and don't change anything, maybe uh, our hair is a mess, or we need to wash our face, and we just look in the mirror in the morning, okay, I'm just going to work now. Um, you know, I'm going, going, going out now to go to the store. Uh, and we don't change anything, what good did it do to even look at the mirror? Did no, no good if we didn't change anything. We need to look at God's word and change the things in our lives, endeavor to obey God's word. Verse 25, for whoso um, looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And that's what we want for our lives here and for our church, is to be blessed. And the last proof text uh, in our Constitution regarding the word of God is a supreme authority for faith and practice is John 16, 12 through 13. John 16 shows us the Holy Spirit, as Jesus tells us here himself, promising his disciples that when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come to them and he will guide them. And there's some things that Jesus wants to teach his disciples right then and there, but they're not ready to learn them yet. They still have to understand that he's going to the cross, dying and uh, rising again, and then they have to continue on the work of reaching the world for Christ with the gospel and with God's word. And they themselves, some of them will write further scriptures, the, uh, the, the epistles and the gospels in the New Testament. Look at, if you would please, John 16, verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and will show you things to come. In other words, the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Christ. He's pointing us to what God wants for our lives uh, not ju just to point to the Holy Spirit and, yes, I have the Holy Spirit in my life, but to point to the words that the Holy Spirit has moved to be penned and then lights those words from working on the work the Holy Spirit does in our hearts, convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and moving us 
to become more like Christ. This began at Pentecost, and at the, it's ever since Pentecost, the day, the time that a believer accepts Christ, puts his faith in Christ for the first time, the Holy Spirit begins to work in his life and empower that believer to obey God's word and to understand God's word in a way that unbelievers are unable to. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, we already looked at it two weeks ago as our first text, talks about the Holy Spirit moving the people who penned God's word. The Holy Spirit moved them. We'll look at another passage in a moment. The Holy Spirit also helps us understand God's words. If you would look at John 14, 26, while we're in the book of John, John 14, 26, and perhaps keep a marker in John. We'll be right back to John 17 very briefly. John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 2 Corinthians 3 2 Corinthians 3.18 further reveals the work of the Holy Spirit in us, teaching us God's word. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are to become more like Christ through the Holy Spirit empowering us through God's living words as we submit ourselves to those words, as we bring ourselves to those words and study those words. God's Holy Spirit helps us understand God's word. If you're in 2 Corinthians, please turn with me. 1 Corinthians, briefly here before we close. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. Here Paul gives a testimony that he is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Not just the Old Testament is given by the inspiration, but the New Testament and Paul's writings as well. 1 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 9, says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? In other words, you know, we don't, I don't know what everyone here is thinking about. You might be thinking about these words that we're reading right now. You might be thinking about something else entirely right now. I don't know. But in the same way, in a similar way, God's Holy Spirit knows what God is thinking about, what God was thinking when he wrote the Bible what God intended for those words, and the Holy Spirit, if we let him, will work in our hearts through God's word and through us studying God's word and help us understand those things and follow those teachings. Look at verse 11. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual with spiritual. 
But the natural man, in other words, an unsaved person, they don't have the ability to understand God's word. The first thing they have to understand before they can really understand the teachings of God's word is the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that we need his salvation because we all come short of God's law. We've all broken it and need his forgiveness. But once we receive God's Holy Spirit, we're able to learn much more about who God is and what God wants for our lives, what the future holds. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged by no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Through God's word and through the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have the mind of Christ. And the last passage to look at today, very last one. So here Paul makes it clear his words are given by the Holy Spirit, not just the thoughts or ideas, but the words Paul wrote, the words that he received. That's uh, focusing on verse 13 there that we just read in 2 Corinthians 2, which things we speak, the words which man's wisdom teacheth, not the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. It's a word for words, plural words, not just message, not just thoughts, not just ideas, but the words that Paul writes and his epistles were given by the Holy Ghost. That's verse 13 in 1 Corinthians 2. The last passage, John 17. John, um, John is recording here in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane for his disciples, for his followers, after he ascends to heaven after his resurrection. He is praying for them that they'd be in the world, but they would be separate from the world and that they would follow God's word and God would protect them through his word and through the Holy Spirit working in them. Look at John 17, please, at verse, starting at verse 6, where Jesus emphasizes God's word is truth. And, he sets, and the, the truth of God's word is what sets Christ's followers apart from the world and unifies us as the church, unifies us as fellow followers, fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. It is our unity and it is our guide. It is our protection. It is what keeps us and guards us and protects us. Look at what Jesus says in his prayer to his heavenly Father, to God the Father. John 17, verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were... And thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, the words from Jesus, and have known surely that I have came out from thee. It wasn't just the miracles Jesus did, it's the words that he spoke that showed he was from God. They were God's words. And they have believed, verse 8, that thou didst send me. And I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. That applies to us today. 
Jesus is not here with us except through his Holy Spirit and through his words. His physical presence is in heaven right now. And one day we'll be physically reunited with him. Just as he one, once walked on the shores of Galilee and in Jerusalem with his disciples, with his, all of his followers and friends. One day we'll walk physically with him. But right now, he's in our hearts and in his words. And he leads us through them and protects us through them. Look at verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep thou thine own name, those through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, speaking of Judas Iscariot, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou, thou shouldest keep them from evil. You know, some of us are looking forward to the time when we're taken out of the world by the rapture. But Jesus said, that's not my prayer here, that they be taken out of the world. But that you should keep them, you should protect them, you should guard them while they're in the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil, from harm. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, set them apart. Purify them through thy truth. Verse 17, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these Alone, not just for the 12 apostles, not just for the 70 disciples or the 500 witnesses after his resurrection. Not, not just for the early church. But listen, verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's all of us today. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Do we not only acknowledge God's word as the supreme authority for our faith and for our lives, do we live that way today? Are we living according to the supreme authority of God's holy words? And as we saw in the, in those la in the, in the two truth, the two texts today, main texts, along with the supporting scriptures, are we healthy by feasting, by feeding on God's word, by being nourished by God's word? And are we allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us to truth by submitting ourselves to God's word? And if we are, then we should be united by the, Holy, by the, by the scriptures by our following the scriptures, by believing the, what the scriptures say. 
and we should be protected from evil and growing in grace and in effectiveness in serving Christ and reaching the world and showing them that God has sent Jesus to save the lost in this world today. Are we effectively reaching the world for Christ today? It begins with his word. Are we reading, are we studying, are we diligently endeavoring to live by the word of God and give that word those words of Scripture to this world. Let, let's consider that as we sing our closing hymn and then close in prayer to follow that hymn.